And while you're turning to Matthew chapter 7, good morning. We are coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's been months in the unfolding and the preaching, and we have enjoyed it, have benefited from it. But um, next week, I believe, will be the last uh, of the Sermon on the Mount. By way of review, last week, we looked at um, Matthew 7, 15 through 20, and uh, we looked at the nature of false prophets. They, in appearance, are godly, respectable, venerable, like one of Jesus' sheep, if not one of his under-shepherds or elders. In manner, they're gentle, caring, not seeking attention to themselves, it seems. Their goal, deception, destruction, disruption of God's work on the earth. Their origin, frighteningly, is from among yourselves. Paul told the, um, the elders from Ephesus, he said that there will arise grievous wolves from among you. They don't, uh, they don't pull up with a big sign that says uh, false prophets incorporated. They don't uh, identify themselves with, um, uh, with special, uh, special name tags necessarily, but um, they, are, they come from within. Their effect on, our, on, uh, on their lives, the effect of their lives is bad fruit, spiritual rottenness. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit, and that's how you're going to know the false prophets. The message, what is the message of the false prophet? It is, live good enough, and you'll go to heaven. But we read in Galatians 2, a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Okay, so that's, um, uh, that's the truth contradicting the, um, the message of the false prophets. How do we know them? Well, we said already that... Um, Jesus told us we will know them by their fruit. Look at their lives. Look at the effect of their lives. Uh, look at what they're doing. We can identify the false prophets. So that's the nature of the false prophet. Last week, this week, we're going to look at the end of the false prophet. We'll, um, we'll use as an outline, first, the condition or the state of Jesus' followers, and by Followers, we mean all those who say that Jesus is Lord. Uh, second, we'll look at the claim or the defense of the false prophet uh, at judgment. Third, we'll see Christ's condemnation of the false prophet. And then uh, finally, Lord willing, we'll look at the cure for fakery. As we look at the scripture this morning, 
to help our understanding of the Lord Jesus' teaching and our appreciation of him, we will look at the titles or the names of the Lord Jesus that are presented in these verses. I, um, uh, I counted six. You may want to add to that list. But um, we have a hymn in our hymn book. I altered the word slightly. Great are the titles Jesus bears, and bright his character appears, exalted on the throne. So we're going we're gonna to gain some uh, rich insights from looking at the titles, the names of the Lord Jesus. Okay, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Lord, we see profound truth in your word, things that should not be neglected, but should be put into practice in our lives. This is very powerful for us. Please, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us in a way that um, uh, believers understand and, uh, and that the unsaved will understand as well. Um, and all the glory will go to you. In Jesus' name, amen. What is the condition of Jesus' followers that he reveals in his, uh, in his statement, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven? In general, Jesus' followers, whether they're um, uh, during his ministry on the earth or today in the modern church, his followers say Jesus is Lord. However, not everyone who calls Jesus Lord are his real followers. How big is Jesus following? Well, it's big enough to have true followers and false followers. What does Lord mean? I asked my friend George last week. <clears throat> what does the word Lord mean to you? And uh, George said, uh, Lord means God. He, um, uh, he's not a Bible reader, but he, he picked up on that. Lord means God. And so I asked George, um, what is it about God that um, deserves the title Lord? George said, I don't know. And I, I said, well, George, you're, um, you're a homeowner. You, if you were to rent out your house, your tenants would call you, what? Land Lord. And he goes, no, that's way too powerful. <laughs> he said, I'm not the landlord. And so I said, okay, well, what do you want to be called then by your tenants? And he said, um, he thought for a minute, and then he said, the boss of the house. Okay, so George, George will be the boss of his house. When we call Jesus Lord, we're calling him boss. Boss, not just of the lives uh, around us, but on my life. Not just on my life, but on 
the universe. Jesus is Lord of all. It means that He reigns. What Jesus says must be obeyed, must be listened to with the heart of obedience. He told His disciples, you call me teacher and Lord, you say, well, for so I am. He told the disciples, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? So the first title that we see in these verses is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And in calling Jesus Lord, even the false prophets have something to say that is accurate. Even a a broken clock will give the right time twice a day. Jesus will not condemn the false prophets for calling him something that he isn't. But he will condemn them for bearing rotten fruit. The pretender's life contradicts his profession. The pretender is not a true subject of the king. He's not a real citizen of the kingdom. Not all who call Jesus Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. It comes a shock to those who think that everyone who calls him Lord are uh, his um, are going to heaven, but um, there are fakes, there are pretenders, there are frauds, and they carry uh, falsified identification or credentials. Who knows better about the kingdom of heaven than its king? Jesus is the king of heaven. And that's a second title that we can ascribe to him, uh, that we recognize Jesus is king. And he determines the laws of his realm. And he decides who is allowed into his kingdom. He determines the uh, qualifications for those. Heaven's government is not a democracy. Not everyone, he says, but he who does the will of my Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the obedient Son. Here's a third title. And he calls God my Father. As the Father's obedient Son Jesus proves that God's will is not unreasonable. We sinners can't complain that we have no example of one who perfectly obeys God. We have it in the Lord Jesus. Jesus said, I always do those things that please the Father. Jesus did his Father's will fully through far more difficulties than we will ever experience. He's the obedient son. What an insult to God's perfect obedient son to have others come to the father and offer their imperfect obedience and say, uh, I'm coming to you um, on the basis of my disobedience. 
What an insult to Jesus, who is the perfect son. He suffered as the perfect son. What is the Father's will? He who does the will of my Father in heaven. God's desire for us sinners, first and foremost, is expressed in 1 Timothy 2. God, our Savior, desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That is God's will for you and me as sinners. Also expressed in 2 Peter, the Lord is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 Few come to repentance. Somehow, in his patience and wisdom, God honors the decision that men and women make during their lifetime to resist him. God will not force his love and mercy and grace on anyone. And during our lifetimes, God will not force his, uh, his control on anyone. Somehow, he has that restraint, that patience, that um, forbearance to allow us to exercise our will in defiance of him. A fourth title for the Lord is that he is the discerning judge. He knows who are his and who are not his. How wearisome it must be for the Lord Jesus to hear this phrase, Lord, Lord, from those who are fakes, they're phonies, they're false, they're hypocrites. And so um, through the ages, these uh, men and women have, have called him Lord, Lord, and he, uh, he is discerning. He is not mocked. God is not mocked. What a comfort this is to his real disciples and a terror to those who are false, to the false prophets. But in Galatians 6, Paul wrote, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. God is not mocked. Weist, in his um, expanded translation of the New Testament, translated that simple phrase, God is not mocked. He said, God is not being outwitted and evaded. God's not fooled by by fakery, by, uh, by deceit. And he does not smile on imposters. He knows, he knows who the imposters are. Jesus does not suffer the blindness like that of Isaac. Could we see a slide? Thank you. Isaac, if you remember back in Genesis 27... He sent his son Esau out to um, hunt game. Uh, Isaac was at the end of his life, and he said to Esau, go out and um, hunt and prepare for me the savory dish that I love. So Esau left, 
Um, Isaac, Esau knew that his dad was going to bless him with uh, um, the blessing of the firstborn. And so Esau was uh, eager to, to comply with his dad's wishes. Esau was so old and his uh, eyes were so dim that he could not see. So he had to rely on touch and smell and um, hearing to discern who came back with the savory meal. And uh, was it Esau or was it not? You have the voice of Jacob. But uh, let me feel your hands. Ah, your hands are those of uh, Harry Esau. And your neck, I feel, is, um, is the uh, hairy neck of Esau. And he smelled uh, Esau's clothes and he said, well... This has to be Esau, but who was it? It was Jacob. Isaac didn't have the discernment. He was blind. He couldn't see that an imposter had taken his eldest son's place. Jesus doesn't suffer blindness. We can relate to Isaac because he can be so thoroughly duped. Okay, We can be so easily um, fooled. But uh, Jesus has, um, he's not deceived. He's not fooled by counterfeits. We read in um, John's revelation three times that the Lord Jesus has eyes like a flame of fire. That's powerful. What does that mean? Well, it speaks of his perfect knowledge, his infallible insight, and his inescapable scrutiny. In Hebrews 4, we read that the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Okay, so God gives us His Word, and it discerns the thoughts and intents of our heart. It'll tell us who we are. It'll tell us if we're genuine, it'll tell us if we're fake. And if he is able to write his word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, how much more is he himself a discerner of the thoughts and intents, the motives of the heart? And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to him, uh, to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It's all, it's all open, it's all apparent. Our hearts are open books to the Lord. Our motives, our goals, our dreams, our desires. What a privilege and joy it is to call Jesus Lord and to know Him as Lord. What height of self-deception and presumption to call Jesus Lord without knowing Him as Lord. Presumption. It's, a, it's a, a big word, but it's very important to our study this morning. Presumption, we, um, uh, we can define as attempting things or claiming things for God, which he did not tell me to do. Presumption is uh, attempting things or claiming things for God that God didn't tell me to do. I have no authorization to do those. 
The goal of your speaker this morning is not to shake any believer's faith, but uh, if you came into the meeting this morning with uh, faith in the Lord Jesus, trusting in Him for your salvation, the Holy Spirit wants you to leave with that, uh, that bright hope, that confidence in the Lord Jesus. If you're attempting to enter God's presence without His permission, by your own strength, in your own merit, on the basis of your own worthiness, by your accomplishment and your credentials, however great you think they are, the Holy Spirit wants you to repent of that. And He wants you to exercise faith in His Son, the Lord Jesus, in the Father's Son. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? We find the, uh, the false prophet's defense here. Uh, he's, um, he's one of the many, uh, at the beginning of verse 22, which... Um, relates to the not everyone of verse 21, okay? The Lord Jesus is talking about um, those who do not enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's a time of judgment. We, um, uh, we see uh, the Lord's reference to in that day. Which day is that? It's the judgment. These... Um, these men and women stand in judgment before the Lord. So the false teacher is arguing his case for getting into the kingdom of heaven. Lord, Lord, they address Jesus with their words when they should have obeyed the Father's will with their lives. And it's too late. They prophesied. They cast out demons. They did many wonders in the name, all in the name of the Lord Jesus. They argue this uh, in your name three times for emphasis. In your name, in your name, in your name. And yet they had no authorization from Jesus to do the work. We'll find out in the next verse. There is a world full of counterfeit religions. And even among those who claim to be followers of Jesus, there are many phonies. Some imposters do fake wonders, and I, I believe that most fit into this category, that those who claim to, uh, to be um, doing wonders uh, as fake prophets, it's all made up. It's all, uh, it's all fake uh, wonders. Some perform real wonders. Some fake teachers, uh, apostles, perform real wonders. And um, Jesus warned, um, because they don't do this under his authority, he said that at the end of the age, false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Okay, so uh, how do we discern the true from the false? 
if the false prophets are doing uh, signs and wonders, well, we listen to their words, but we don't just listen to their words. We watch their lives. Jesus said, by, your, by their fruit, you will know them. The apostles of uh, the book of Acts worked miracles from God to authenticate their message and their ministry. But these were not to be taken alone as proofs of apostleship. Paul told the Ephesian elders, he said, You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility. So we, uh, we look at the life. We look at the outcome. We look at the fruit to, uh, to help us discern if those uh, signs, if those wonders are coming from a true apostle or a false. But here are the fake prophets' argument. They say, Lord, we were useful to you. Lord, you depended on us. Lord, you benefited from our ministry. Look at, look at all the stuff that we did. Lord, you owe us for our service. When in fact, they were perverting what was right. They called good evil and evil good. They put darkness for light and light for darkness. It's not a question of their sincerity. Many false disciples um, are sincere in their work, but consciously or not, their efforts are pulling down the household of God. The fake disciples were totally mistaken as to what was right and wrong. There was a way that seemed right to them in their own wisdom, but the end of that was the way of death. God is not mocked. He's not, he's not fooled. He's not outwitted. He's not circumvented. Jesus is the discerning judge. He's able to see with perfect clarity. But he's not just the discerning judge. He is the righteous judge. Another title and we read in verse 23, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus tells them, I never knew you. There was never a relationship between us. You were always independent and defiant and self-sufficient. There was no vital link between you and me. You despised the spiritual life that I offered. It wasn't that we had a, a relationship that broke. Jesus said, I never knew you. Therefore, you had no authority. You had no basis for the works you claim to have done. Without a foundation, how can you claim to be building this wonderful edifice? You never got started. Jesus sentences the condemned. He says, depart from me. Depart from me. We hear people say without much provocation, they say, 
damn you, go to hell. What does that mean? Do, does the person who says that really want me to spend an eternity in torment, in pain, in uh, gnashing of teeth? We don't expect to hear from Jesus, but here it is, depart from me. Where is the convict to go? From him? Out of his presence? He is the fountain of every blessing. Everything that we enjoy. Sunshine, companionship, fresh air, life, uh, work. It's all his. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Depart from me. These are not words of retaliation or vindictiveness, but of justice, sentencing the convict commensurate with the crime. Paul wrote uh, to the Thessalonians, he said, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not his gospel, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from his glory forever and ever. So to be banished from the Lord Jesus' presence is to be separated from his blessing as well and from his glory. His glory is that um, uh, manifestation of, of his goodness, of his mercy, his grace. We read of Jesus' great white throne judgment in Revelation 20, verses 11 15, uh, through 15, but we don't hear him speak. Here Jesus speaks, depart from me. These may be the last words the condemned sinner ever hears. And these from the lips of Jesus, the Savior of sinners, the lover of souls, Oh, what emptiness without the Savior, mid the sins and sorrows here below, and eternity, how dark without him, only night and tears and endless woe. What though I might live without the Savior, when I come to die, what will it be? Oh, to face, to face the valley's gloom without him, and without him all eternity. He says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These are people who don't have a vital, life-giving, life-sharing relationship with the Lord Jesus. They habitually break his law. They claim to keep his commandments without even knowing what the Ten Commandments are. Well, you may excuse yourself by saying you're not a false prophet. I... I don't preach another Jesus. I don't preach a different gospel. But that wasn't Jesus' condemnation. Jesus said that he doesn't know you. It's not that you're a false prophet. He says, I don't know you. You're a worker of lawlessness. God has been patient with you, merciful. Truly, these times of ignorance he's overlooked. But now he calls on you to repent. 
Jesus is the righteous judge. He doesn't want people in hell. He did not create hell for people. He did not create people to populate hell. But he respects the eternal choice that rebellious people make during their lives on earth. And by the way, he is glorified for his perfect justice. He is a righteous judge. This is the end of the pretender. This is the finish. Or is it? There are actually two ends. We've described the first. Jesus describes the first here. And yet there is a cure for the fake disciple. One end is departure from the presence of the Lord in unimaginable heartache and pain. The other end is abiding in the joy and glory of the Lord in his presence forever. God requires of the sinner simple repentance and genuine faith. He wants the false disciple to turn from the practice of lawlessness, admit, admit his wrongdoing, and turn to him. This is, uh, this is repentance. And he wants the sinner, the false prophet, to believe in his finished work, believe in the finished work of the Lord Jesus, that it's sufficient for payment for your sin, and that there's no other work that's needed than his work. Jesus died not only in the place of fornicators, idolaters, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, but also for false teachers and fake disciples. He died their death on the cross. Jesus saves by his grace through faith, and afterwards he commissions to do good works, which he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Lord Jesus has, as the gracious Savior, his title, he has no final words for his redeemed ones. Instead, the hymn writer wrote, God now brings thee to his dwelling, spreads for thee his feast divine, Bids thee welcome, ever telling, what a portion there is thine. Jesus is the sovereign Lord, the King of heaven, the obedient Son, the discerning judge, the righteous judge, and the gracious Savior. Let's pray. Thank you so much for opening the gates of heaven to uh, us who are um, false teachers, um, who are um, rebellious, uh, who practice lawlessness, who, um, who don't have relationship with you. Thank you, Lord, that you do offer life. You do offer relationship uh, with us. You're an initiator. You are the one who extends the hand to, uh, to us. I pray, Lord, for those who uh, hear your word this morning that um, you would have pierced their hearts, you would have broken through 
their high defenses to, um, to reach their souls. Convince them of their sin and of the power of your blood to heal them of their, um, of their sin. Uh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.